Welcome to Changing the Perception of Blindness, One Conversation at a Time, where we aim to break down barriers, demystify blindness, and promote real and lasting change. Join host David Steinmetz as he connects us with professionals who are making a positive impact in the community. These leaders help empower individuals who are blind or have other disabilities to live a full and inclusive life. Let's lean in as David kicks off today's conversation. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Changing the Perception of Blindness, One Conversation at a Time. I'm really excited for uh, this show today, be back in the studio and really work on how we as a community, as a society, can overcome our barrier stigmas, perceptions of what the abilities of people who are blind and the contributions we bring to the workforce. If you can remember just a few years ago, back in 2020, seems like forever, the unemployment rate reached like 13.8%. The media, Congress, everybody was talking about unemployment and that high number. And in those short three years, um, through policy, through people getting back to work, through reinventing what work looks like, um, understanding people who are blind can work remotely or anybody can work remotely. We got back to an unemployment rate of today at about 3.8%. So it's possible uh, when people's mindsets are put towards a, a, solu- a problem to find that solution to get people back to work. It just amazes me that reading just the other day that over half of the working age people who are blind or vision impaired are not in the workforce. That means that they've either given up and decided that that working is not for them or they haven't been able to and that they are on other social supports, family, et cetera, to continue to live their lives. And that really shouldn't be that way. When if we look at the general population, that statistic is less than a quarter of the people without a disability are not in the workforce, meaning they're not looking, they're not receiving unemployment, they just have basically left the workforce. And uh, we need to do, as business leaders, uh, a better job of looking at various different marginalized groups. Those with disabilities is the largest marginalized group and utilizing the talents that that people who are blind have and bring to the workforce to fill the gaps that are that are still out there in the workforce. So the show is really designed to connect with with leaders uh, in the disability community and leaders just in the community as well that are seeking pathways for people who are blind and vision impaired, people with disabilities to regain independence, social and financial independence and really bring back self-worth to uh, the individual, to people who are blind. I know when I I was out of work and really struggling to find competitive employment, the value that, uh, you know, being at home really took a toll on me uh, emotionally, uh, mentally. And uh, once I was back at work and engaged with uh, people utilizing my skills and talents, that a lot of that self-worth confidence come back. So I'm really excited for for today's show, uh, connecting with Blank Steinecke, apologize, really having some some good conversations around blindness, around advocacy, around 
uh, job training, digital accessibility, all the things that one from the person with the disability, person who's blind, really needs to focus on. And two, as, as the business community to really understand what their role and, and support is in getting people back to work. So Blake, welcome. You had a lot of, share, I'll, I'll call it shared experience, Blake, with kind of a similar journey that, that I had in terms of vision loss. And we often find that to be true with, with a lot of people, whether it's, uh, especially when, when you've lost vision, uh, either, you know, later in life, you acquire that, that uh, blindness later in life, you at 16, so it's not that late in life, but when it comes out of nowhere and, and you have this realization that uh, what your thought your path was going to be and what your path is and how you sometimes have to reinvent yourself and find those alternative ways. I really love how you said, you know, that technology would be your, your enemy through, through college and getting through uh, school, uh, whether it's photography and, and videography and editing. We have the tools to be successful, to make sure your employees have the tools to be successful, and then you give them the space to do what they need to do in training, mentoring along the way. From, from your perspective, like, do you think that that's any different than what you find found as you're on either going through school or two through some of your other your career? Well, that's the whole thing about flexibility, adaptability, and change. Right? Is we all end up at never know what's going to happen, when it's going to happen, and you know, is is taking your time, breathing through it, and finding a solution to the issue. That's true. And yeah. that goes the same for no no matter what happens in life. Yeah, absolutely. Adaptation. In the meantime, I'm going to thank Arizona Industries for the Blind, an enterprise nonprofit organization dedicated to empowering people who are blind and visually impaired to achieve their version of the American dream by creating and sustaining employment while providing quality product and services to our customers. So as a solution provider, Arizona Industry of Blind provides uh, outsourced services as well as retail operations to sell quality products manufactured by people with disabilities to both federal and state customers. And through those business activities, AIB is able to employ uh, more than 60 people who are blind and vision impaired throughout Arizona. So thank you, AIB, for being a sponsor of this show. If you'd like to learn more information, you can visit azifb.com, www.az, like Arizona, if like foxtrot, b like boy.com. We were talking about technology. We were talking about expectations. You said talk about setting the bar. In order to do that, you had to overcome some of your own ideas, thought, perceptions of what your abilities were. Is that correct? Yeah, for sure. I think it's interesting how if you, we don't, we have so many preconceived notions towards blindness and disability, and we think it's this outsider issue or like something that's on, you know, that we're we're not an insider on and happens to other people, not us. These things have never happened to me. And then when it does, it's crazy all the preconceived notions that you can have that lead to these doubts and insecurities and how we can quickly lower our lower the bar to match our expectations and stereotypes that we have. 
And it's weird when we have these preconceived notions towards others, and then you become part of this group, and then you believe it about yourself. And it's definitely quite the the journey to go on and takes people, I, I really believe it takes people around you to lift the bar up and believe in you and you can't believe in yourself. And it can be annoying and frustrating at times, but it's a powerful thing. And you get to the point where you can then also be the one that's lifting the bar up for other people. Mm, very true. And that's right. You're, you're an athlete uh, playing uh, hockey or mountain biking and things like that, right? Is I'm sure there were times before your vision loss that you sat at the top of a hill and you're, or you're like, all right, here we go. And you, you know, just point, point the handlebars downhill and you start going. And it's having supports and having confidence in yourself after the vision loss to do the same thing is you may hit some bumps in the road. You may fall off the bike. You know, hopefully you don't hurt yourself too badly but you get up and, and you keep going. And I think that's really important as to understand because, you know, disabilities crosses every barrier, every ethnicity, every gender, doesn't discriminate against anybody for any reason. Most likely you or a family member or a friend or somebody is going to acquire disability in their lifetime. And how you overcome that adjustment process is, okay, I used to do things this way. And now I do them, I have to, to achieve the same goal, I have to do it another way. And the goal is still the same. The outcome is still the same. You just maybe took a different path. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, I totally agree. I think there's these like high level similar goals, but the where you end up is very <laughs> different. Mm-hmm. Um, where These high level goals as in you want to, get a a job, you like a career, you like graduate college, get married, like these high level things, but Mm -hmm. like how that ends up happening, it can be so different. Mm -hmm. Like I used to be such a planner in life, but when you realize you don't know what tomorrow may bring, it's a powerful thing. And I think the, the perspective that you said, the analogy with mountain biking and, you know, falling and getting yourself back up, like it can sound so cheesy when I say it, but it's, it's so true. Mm -hmm. And I think a story that well encapsulates a lot of that uh, sentiment in related challenges was uh, one time as my vision loss was starting in both eyes, it was, it was a slow progression over a year and a year or two. And so as it started, I thought, oh, I'm fine. Still riding on my own. I still have enough vision. I know this, this trail enough. And so I'm riding on my own. I'm taking the line. I know that should be open. And like, there's a big rock that was not rollable in the way. I hit it. I go over the bars, lay on my shoulder and head, have a concussion. I knew from concussions before that this could happen. But a bunch of my, all my vision went super blurry mm. as a symptom of the concussion. And I'm sitting there on the trail thinking I just knocked out uh, most, way more of my vision Real, just kind of broke down and realized like I can't ride the same way I used to. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just like, oh man, I can't mountain bike. It was just this, a, a little piece of acceptance of this transition. Mm-hmm. And it's incredibly humbling, whether it's accepting I can't mountain bike on my own, accepting that I can't sometimes take tests in school on my own, 
accepting this dependency on others in this hyper-independent culture that we live in. And it was this transition to, okay, how do I start riding with someone that's guiding me through the trail? And how do I relearn this thing? And thankfully, that was a more fun area of life that I could relearn Mm -hmm. other areas of life that are not as fun, but you use that same mentality where you you fall down. You, it's blindness can be so embarrassing, so humbling, mm-hmm. so just awkward. But you like you learn to get more comfortable with that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but just a, a story to encapsulate some of those points there. Yeah, absolutely. And and thank you for for sharing that story because it is in, and I think those bumps and bruises. Well, I know those bumps and bruises aren't only for people who are blind and vision impaired. I mean, that things happen to people every day. And yeah. it, whether it's not paying attention or other people or what you thought you could do and so forth. Yeah, but yeah, it is humility. It, you have to have some humility with it and and a little bit of laughter. And But I think through that, you learn, okay, how do I solve this problem? I, I want to do this and, and so forth. And you probably had to use some of the similar experiences after graduating um, from college. She said a semester early, um, way to go. And transitioning to, okay, I've got this degree. You know, I, I went back to work, or excuse me, I went back to school as an adult. We started a family. My wife and I started a family, uh, working full-time, and graduated and so the next step would be is okay let's go out and get this this career in this field that i was just graduated and had all this vast knowledge from from a university um now i'm I'm ready to go put that to work and i did great in phone interviews um my resume got me a lot of a lot of phone interviews but when i walked in there was that kind of awkwardness. I was wondering, did you have similar experiences? What was that transition from from school to work like for you? Yeah, it's definitely a, a interesting journey. And I think I was thankful that for the work experience that I had in college, I did two or three internships and two other just like random other jobs. And I think First of all, they're just valuable work experience, but just to get the reps in of interviewing, figuring out, disclosing my disability and getting accommodations in the workplace was immensely valuable in college. And I think that I really had a a very positive experience with it and with working while in college. Uh, Not to say that it wasn't awkward or uncomfortable at times, but I think in terms of the people that I got to work with uh, and how things were received. I I think I come from the camp of disclose disability as soon as possible. That's what's worked best for me. And I think there are definitely times where it's one of my first times doing it and I say it and the other person's like, okay, like, so, so what do you need? Like, so what are you going to do? And I'm like, I mean, we'll figure it out. <laughs> it's you don't totally know. Right. And it could definitely be awkward. And I could definitely be like, helps I can't see your facial expression. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, yeah, it, it could make things even more awkward. Mm-hmm. But I think it is 
just a super vulnerable thing. Um, but getting those practice reps in while in college was super valuable. And whether it was working on campus or just being an intern, like there's a little more like leeway there where everyone's like rooting for you no matter what, uh, for the most part, mm-hmm. if they're working with the intern. But then after college, I think there did come more challenges with certain jobs when it came to, I think, just communicating the things I was able to do. And sometimes if people weren't sure how I could do those things, mm-hmm. I think it was interesting to come to the point where I realized like, it doesn't matter how my boss or coworker, I guess they don't need to know um, like how I do everything. Mm-hmm. They just need to know the challenges that I face and how they can help me. And I would say it's up to me to communicate what those challenges are and how they can help and up to them to be receptive and curious to kind of meet me halfway as well. And so I think there was a lot of unhealthy just trying to prove myself mm-hmm. in certain jobs I faced where maybe there was a uh, certain softwares we were using that were not accessible or really challenging, need extra help. But I think there was too much pressure I would put on myself to just be like, oh no, I can like prove myself and I just got to work extra hard. But it's definitely helpful where I, I graduated in December 2020 mm-hmm. and I have been able to work the majority of my roles remotely, which uh, one of one was in person, but working remotely definitely removed a lot of that friction and uh, things to be able to work around. But yeah, lots of other stories and ideas that come up with it, but that's kind of at a, a high level. Yeah, because uh, a lot of things there uh, to unpack, unpack. You know, you're talking about disclosure, right? And uh, that's always a big topic of discussion among the disability community. And, you know, walking in with a guide dog or cane or no mobility aids. And as you said, maybe missing facial expressions, handshakes, things, you know, the nonverbal portion of communication can set things in the wrong direction right off the bat. And disclosing, then people think, all right, how's this person going to do the job? I don't think they're going to be able to do it because a study said that 45% of hiring managers believe there are no jobs within their organization that uh, someone who's blind can do. So you're setting the tone mm-hmm. right up front if you if you disclose that up front. So it is definitely a, a fine line to walk when uh, that disclosure comes, comes out. Now, some of it really hard to to hide, um, but if you're doing it, re- you know, remotely and uh, you know, the way interviews get conducted nowadays, uh, it makes it easier to maybe wait for that second round. Uh, and I think you said a couple other things that are really important is about talking about what your what your needs are, and uh, not necessarily having having to go in and say, this is what I can and, and can't do, right? Is, okay, these are the tools that I use um, and this is how I would solve this issue, right? Is, is discussing those things from how you can, you know, just like in any interview, how you can benefit that organization but, and you have these tools at your, at your disposal to do that. It's really important to, yeah. to have those conversations. Did your... You were talking about, um, you know, your internships and, and things like that. 
what what did you feel were some of the did you did you feel that people were receptive in that disclosure up front? Did you feel that you had to work harder to to prove to them in a sense that you're able to do the job? Yeah, I I think there's an underlying preconceived notion I maybe had or just I don't know, rooted in maybe some insecurity where I thought I, w- I was kind of told that if you have the same resume as someone who is fully able-bodied, that the employer is just going to pick the other person. And for the longest time, I just believed that to be true. And I'm just like, that's the world we live in. That's just how it goes. So then my conclusion from that was, okay, then I will achieve 125% of what my peers do. And then, then they'll see me as 100% compared to my peers. Numbers are somewhat arbitrary, but you get the the concept. And I think that set me on this path to uh, work too hard to achieve 125% and maybe beyond that and realize, wait a second, if I have the same resume as a fully able-bodied peer of mine, then wouldn't they also see the things in my resume where I am someone who is adaptable, a creative problem solver that has done all of these things listed here with an added challenge and unique circumstance that has made me a better, stronger person, a better communicator, a better advocate, a better person to uh, work with, knowing how to work with a lot of different parties and people and really kind of challenge that perspective. And the reason I say that is because I think early on, I realize like I have to work hard and if I tell them I think I can do this, I may not know how I'm actually going to do all the tasks or things required, but I know there's a way and I'm just going to figure it out. And I think it's realizing anybody has to prove themselves uh, to, you know, enter the workforce um, just in terms of showing you can do the work and perform well. So I think that's like simply what it boils down to. Can you follow through on the promises or things you're saying that you can achieve the tasks at hand? When you're not sure, you just ask to clarify certain things. And I think in all that I've been able to accomplish and do since my vision loss and in my career so far, I realize that it's it's not about achieving more to have the same respect. Um, But no matter what you achieve, it's keeping in mind all the additional things you're doing and character traits you're building that truly creates uh, a good employee. Very well said. I think uh, I, I love how you put that. I always say if, if I go and do an interview, I'm going to have some technology with me that allows me to take notes as if my peer would. I'm going to have be prepared. I'm going to, my resume got me into the the office and sitting across the table from the hiring manager. <clears throat> so I've had the skills, obviously. You you felt that I had the skills and I can continue to sell myself and, and my abilities. And that's all I can do. It's up to that other individual to see the ability, see your journey to to there to be as a valued employee not because of the disability but because of what you what you bring to the workplace 
Yeah. It's and it, it, it's hard because it's easy with, you know, 70% unemployment. It's easy to say people don't have the right mindset. We as the blindness community have to change those mindsets. We have to help people see beyond or see in that resume that, oh, you graduated college, you started a family, uh, you work full-time, whatever, whatever, you know, you've done internships. So that must mean that you have the skill sets to do the things that you need to do. And through these conversations, through the work through uh, that you do, Blake, on uh, bringing awareness and the, and the, you know, the inclusive and things that you that you've done is, I think, makes those incremental changes and um, awareness because you know blindness is such a low prevalent disability that you often you know aren't going to have as many encounters with somebody who's blind. And so when we share those experiences with, with the public, when we're out doing the job that we have to do to support ourselves and our family, we're in a sense changing that percent whether we want, want it or not, um, <laughs> whether it's fair or not. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right. Uh, no, I totally, totally agree. Yeah. And, you know, um, talking about unpo- unemployment and, you know, you, you mentioned some of the training that you went through, um, Jasmine is, okay, I, I don't think I can do this. And then, you know, family, other supports to help lift you up when, in, in those times, there, there are often times where, where I hear, well, we want to hire people with disabilities. We just don't have, can't find them. Are we, do you think as the disability community, are we doing a good job of providing the necessary training tools to get people back into the workforce? Or where, where are we missing the gap when, when employers say, I can't find the talent or the, the disabled talent? I think as I ponder if we're doing a good enough job, I think it's easy to say, yeah, we're doing a lot of things. It's good. But also if the numbers are where they are, the answer is is no, that we wouldn't be doing a good enough job. And I don't say that in a discouraging way. I I think I'm quite a optimist. And I think it's just always looking at, okay, there are a lot of things we've tried to do and are doing and what has worked and what hasn't. And the modern workforce has changed dramatically in three years, in a decade, in two decades. Um, you know, just introducing, it just used to be where you just had to know email and could get by well. And then there's all these other different office tools that you have to know. And now online softwares and different collaboration tools, project management tools, all these different things. And now people work remotely. And so what we even have to provide training for is constantly changing. And I think there is one angle of you have to get better training and better prepare people. Maybe I'll put three different angles to this. Uh, There is one angle that there needs to be technology that is made more accessibly, whether that's the assistive technology um, or the second thing is the tools that companies make, the softwares need to be made accessible. And so that the assistive technology can actually work with those tools. And then third, 
is I would say there needs to be quality training for those things. And maybe within that, or even a fourth, I would say people in the blind community need to show up and learn those things and realize, yeah, it'd be great if there was some smooth, perfect path we could create for everybody. And, uh, you know, we, we don't live in this industrial age of America where people are just like a cog in a machine and we can train them for this one perfect role. And there's so many of them out there. Uh, I think the workforce is so much more dynamic mm-hmm. and it's, you have to, there are people who have been able to do it with in times where the assistive technology either wasn't there or was terrible. Not many things were accessible. There were no laws around uh, disability for certain protections. So it's not like this pretty answer or even that formulaic, but I think there's a lot of, it's a collaborative effort on many angles uh, to continue to move the needle and just keep trying new things. Yeah, very good and and very well put. From a lot of perspectives, right, is you look at organizations have various different types of productivity, software applications, whether it's an ERP system, uh, financial systems, point of sale systems, right? All these different systems that come together. And, and, you know, as someone coming out of college or career changing or whatever, you might not have the firsthand experience with those uh, particular applications, but you may, you should have the basic skills of computer operation, um, knowledge, kind of understanding of how some of these things work and how they interact together, kind of behind the scenes, maybe. And an employer's job is to say, okay, this is the application we use. These are the tasks and the steps you take to do that. But if you come in and go, okay, well, how do I turn my computer on? You're not going to be very successful. So I think a lot of that training for people with disabilities has to, to develop really strong technology skills, really strong problem-solving skills, critical thinking. All those things come into play when you are entering the job market uh, looking, looking for work. And, you know, how do we do it? Because you can't train on every single application that's out there. Because like I said, it's changing so quickly. So it's having an understanding of how these things work, having the assistive technology skills, keyboard skills, or screen magnification, and how to use the tools that are in there to create different zones or, or whatever it is, you know, that, that you need to be successful so that when you sit down and at that job and at that desk, you set it up and then you're ready to go to work versus, well, you need to make these adjustments or blah, blah, blah. Um, I think is is some of the areas where I can see some improvement in terms of training and, and vocational training uh, for people who are blind. And I think it also comes a lot from the individual, right? What What is it that they're willing to put into that? And not just have an expectation that um, I'm going to go to go through this training and someone's going to give me a job. For sure. Yeah. You can, you can lead a horse to water. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, it's a real problem. Right. And, and we saw that over the, the last few years, right. People looking out and, and saying, you know, 
I don't like this role anymore. I'm gonna I'm gonna move to something else. I'm gonna leave the workforce or whatever else. And is that you know is that is there desire to continue to to build upon yourself um, and, and create your own pathways versus letting other people create your pathways? Um, and we were talking a lot about in order for these things to happen is is technology. And you mentioned accessibility a couple times. Um, how can organizations to focus? How why is it important for obviously for organizations to focus on accessibility in their their workplace? I think there's a lot of different examples and reasons, and I think accessibility is an exciting opportunity for people or for organizations to tangibly remove big barriers to inclusion in society. And I think there's a lot of people that want to help, want to do good. And it's one thing to say things. It's one thing to accept things. It's another to realize the tangible barriers that are out there and how you can remove those uh, or do your part in it. And accessibility, I feel like, is such a tangible way to be able to do that. And I think accessibility will make a better experience for everybody and it will push creative limits, design limits uh, to make something that is hopefully just more delightful in the end for all users. And if we look at uh, some of the best companies that for consumer technology, let's say Apple, for example, what people say that they're easy to use. And lo and behold, they're also one of the most accessible companies. Mm -hmm. And you could say, oh, well, they're just like so big and they have all the resources. And I'm sure that's a factor. But also when designing for accessibility in mind and all that they create, Mm -hmm. it really does impact the way things are designed to make more intuitive and enjoyable experiences. Mm -hmm. And I think that there, it can seem like something that just a daunting headache, but when it's, you actually break down all the different people that are involved within a new organization to help this area, uh, I think it's an exciting place with huge opportunity uh, that is a, a very cool thing to be a part of. And those are just a couple of mm-hmm. other reasons. Right, Exactly whether it's Apple or Microsoft building it into their, their technology, you know, it's for sure just not, not too long ago um, right? for people who are blind for myself. If we wanted to have a, a cell phone, you had to get a third party application to load onto your phone. And so it can talk back to you and, and uh, you can access the information and then came along, you know, smartphones and, you know, Hey, lady in the box or, or whatever else. It was so convenient for, for the masses, but it also made you know the same things that we were in the disability community using for, for a long time. And so when you build, yeah. like you said, you build that for uh, all consumers and how you make those interactions with technology easier, uh, easier to find the information, easier to get to it. Um, you build your systems internally so that, you know, your workforce can, can access and u- utilize it. Uh, it just 
makes everything else you know better and, and creates more inclusion for for everybody and interaction with your organization and so forth so just so true that accessibility and building that into the product up front and, and having those conversations with the teams and your consumers to ensure that you're meeting all those needs and, and build a, a site or an application that works for everybody. For sure. Yeah. And I also feel like accessibility can be an early adopter of innovation, mm-hmm. um, sometimes or a lot of times a laggard for adoption of certain innovations, but I think a lot of new technologies have come from being a piece of assistive technology mm-hmm. or an accessibility feature, whether that's, uh, there's lo- lots of cool examples I've heard of uh, touch screens or different voice control with the devices mm-hmm. that we use. And even with very new technologies of artificial intelligence and machine learning you know, we now see that you can type to search a mess, type or give Google or ChatGPT an image and it'll give you a description mm-hmm. or you can search within your photos and it'll come up with those photos that meet whatever you searched. Mm-hmm. And this is a lot of people are like, wow, this is a new, crazy, exciting technology, which it is. But it's been a couple of years where when using voiceover on my phone, that it will, if an image doesn't have an alt text description, it can give a automated description based mm-hmm. on the image or based on the same information of where when you're searching for the photo with text, it can find it. It's, well, why not give that same guess of what the image is to a screen reader user? Um, I think it's just these cool areas where there is accessibility can be a part of innovation mm-hmm. or these testing grounds for uh, new types of technology. Yeah, so very true. I believe we're coming close to the the end of the hour with our conversation. And I wanted to touch on something uh, that you mentioned at the beginning, right? Uh, was you have a passion for for sports and, and blind hockey and as well as, as photography. And I think it's important to maybe have a com- just a very brief conversation that, you know, someone would say, well, if you're blind, how do you do photography? And... I think people forget that blindness, there's there's a spectrum, just like any in any group that, you know, whether you're totally blind or you have some remaining vision, but people here blind, they instantly think total blindness and um, yeah. you can't, how, how can you do photography and video editing and so forth? Can you share? Yeah, I'd, share I'd love it? to talk about it. Yeah. My vision, I basically have no central vision. It's just static, blurry, nothingness in the middle. But I do have some peripheral vision on the sides. But your central vision is where all your important detail is. And that's just not there. And my acuity is like 2,800. I'm a B2 when it comes to blind sports. Uh, But vision is very subjective. And that's my best way of quickly explaining things. Mm And so with photography and videography, like I first, when my vision loss first happened, I was like, I'm going to get a GoPro camera. So when I go places, I can take photos, come home, zoom in on my screen and see all these things I missed uh, while traveling or wherever it may be. And GoPro is super simple to use. You just click, click a button to turn it on, click a button to take a photo or video 
and super wide angle. Everything's in focus. You just point it wherever you want to take the photo. Super easy. Mm -hmm. And then I quickly got kind of hooked on this idea and it turned into, okay, like, what if I tried to take videos? And then, and it was like, well, like, what if I tried to take good photos or videos (laughs) and, and getting better and better at that? Mm -hmm. And, um, I can't use like the screen on the back of the GoPro, but I could connect it to an app on my phone, the GoPro app and be able to adjust all the settings through that app or see things better on the viewfinder on the app doesn't work with voiceover really at all, but I get still have vision to be able to magnify my screen. Mm -hmm. And then I thought like, what if I could use like a nicer DSLR type camera? Like, I don't know how that would work, but maybe I'll just try to figure it out. And what if I got one and tried memorizing the buttons and same concept using an app that connects to the camera to control certain settings and all these little workarounds. And I'd say photography and videography are very forgiving art forms Mm -hmm. where I I could take 80% of my content could just be terrible and out of focus and poorly framed. And it's not necessarily the case always, but it could be. And I could just end up showing you the best photos I end up getting. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter how many mistakes you make. Mm -hmm. And when it came to editing things, you know, I use a large monitor and use a lot of magnification since uh, there's not much screen reader accessibility, Uh, but just a lot of trial and error and sighted feedback Mm -hmm. and kind of retraining my eye and the vision I do have to adjust how to see things. And if I'm color correcting a video, I can't really tell the color Mm -hmm. in the video, but in Adobe Premiere Pro, the editing software, I can look at these graphs that will tell me the visual information in the image based on information in a graph that I could better see. Mm -hmm. Or when editing, it's much easier to move just these blocks around in your timeline of video clips than it even is to edit text in a document if I'm just using magnification. So Mm -hmm. it's really this uh, process of just making mistakes and learning from it and trying to get better every time. And I think that goes for a lot of other areas in life, but that's Mm -hmm. a little bit of how I make some of that work. Awesome. And thank you. And I didn't mean to put you on the spot there, but you know, I I get that all the time is you do what? Because you're blind and it's changing the perception of of blindness and, and people's understanding and really focusing on what you can do versus what you can't do and finding ways to make that happen. So Blake, how can people reach you if they want to learn more about you or talk further about some of the, the topics we had today? Yeah, I think best way would probably just be connecting with me on LinkedIn. Just if you look up Blake Steinica, and I'm sure we could link that in the show notes. Uh, but happy to connect with people and you can see a lot more info and uh, things to come on there just from posting and sharing. Uh, but would love to connect with anybody interested. Always enjoy having a conversation. Awesome. Thank you. And, you know, again, I want to thank Arizona Industries for the Blind uh, for sponsoring our show. Uh, If you're interested in being a guest or sponsoring, please feel free to reach out to me, dsteinmetz at azifb.com. I hope that today through our conversations with Blake that you can come to the realization that with the right training, the right technology, and the right attitude, people who are blind are successful in the workplace. Thank you and have a great day. 
Thank you for listening to Changing the Perception of Blindness, one conversation at a time with your host, David Steinmetz. Be sure to subscribe to Changing the Perception of Blindness, one conversation at a time on your favorite podcast platform. And tune in live on Phoenix Business Radio X every third Friday at 9 a.m. We hope you feel inspired by today's conversation and maybe we've even sparked a new idea or opportunity.